0: Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, Chisuba, could we start off with you? Can you please tell us about your background?
1: Okay, my um, yeah, first of all, my name is Chizuba Nziako and professionally I work in the renewable energy sector. I do a lot of advocacy for clean energy solutions and as well I focus on you know policy implementation and um I also do something around climate change um, ad- advocacy and also climate change um, policies that could help, you know, in the acceleration of net zero goals. Fantastic.
0: So, what is your specific role within Younger UNFCC, and how long have you been involved with the organisation?
1: Okay, I joined Youngo in September 2022. After I got um selected for a policy accouting um for innovation accounting uh by the UNFCCC, to participate in an um in an innovation accouting for the um, the North Westphalia in Germany to build innovative solutions for the clean energy sector. So after that, I became a full member of YONGO and I joined the energy working group. And I also worked as a capacity building coordinator during that period. And um, after that, I'm still actually an active member of Yungo. Of course, we have to, you know, give power to other people to, you know, um, put in their talents and put in their abilities into display. So, yeah, currently I'm still a Yongo member and also still in the energy working group and still doing my advocacy and, you know, um, on climate change and clean energy.
0: Fantastic, and it sounds like you're having quite an impact there. What are
1: the challenges and opportunities within this role? Oh, there's so many challenges and opportunities, and I also like to share this a lot um, because yesterday, as well, I was in a panel with uh, the International Renewable Energy Agency, and um, I also shared uh, because we did a project called the I Act Initiative where we um, where we trained um, people within our communities on the opportunities within the energy sector and it was on empowering youth on advocacy and clean on advocacy for clean energy and climate action. so uh, within the clean energy sector, youth can actually participate as advocates you know they could also build intelligent energy system softwares they could look at innovation and technologies. They could also do something around policy, energy policy, clean energy policies. They could also do something around um, energy media because majority of youths always think that they are ha- they need to have like um, technical capabilities to be able to be part of the clean energy sector because you always look at the engineering part of it and um, they always look at, you know, the implementation of infrastructures, but it goes beyond that. There are so many things youth can actually do within the energy sector, within the climate change sector. Or it could be researchers as well. So yeah, these are some of the opportunities that are in the energy and and climate change action roles that youths could play.
0: Well, thank you so much um, for providing an overview and guidance. You know, you've really shown that children and young people have a voice today. They have a voice for tomorrow as well to make a lasting and sustainable impact upon planet Earth. Um, Why do you think youth advocacy is so important? Yeah,
1: youth advocacy is so important. First of all, I would say that um, for me, before I went into my climate change and clean energy advocacy, it was because I heard about, you know, climate change from a youth like myself. So um, it sort of interests me and I wanted to know more. So through social media advocacy, I heard about climate change and I did a lot of capacity building training for myself to be able to gain knowledge. The truth is that you could not, you cannot advocate for something you're ignorant about. And also, even when you Try when you are out there talking about you know this um these issues and you know and these issues you're p- passionate about. One of the very important reasons for you know bringing it out there, talking about it, is because um, this is something that affects us all. It doesn't just affect one region. The climate crisis doesn't just affect you know one person. It's um, something that we all need to take collective action for. So taking collective action, there is need to be advocacy around these things so everybody knows that yes, we are better together. One and two. That we all together can actually do something because sometimes some people think that it's just policymakers, it's just scientists, it's just um, you know researchers that could do something about this. But even from our own home, we can actually take action. Let's say, for instance, do, um, in, when it comes to waste management, you know, one of the things I really like that I've seen so far in the UAE, around especially around the you know the city and the Green Zone, uh, you see that we have like different um, ways we could. Um, uh, dispose our waste. You can see that there is um something for the for recyclable waste. Um, when it comes to off something for uh, um waste as uh, solid waste and something for you know plastic waste and all of those things. So this sort of gives you some kind of knowledge about you know how to dispose your waste, how to collect this waste. So it doesn't have to be that you have to do something. Um, technical or create an innovation or something like that before you're part of this thing. So advocacy is very important, you know, to educate people on one, the climate change crisis, and two, to let them know that they have to take actions because you can't leave this uh, this um, issue for just one person to take um, charge of. It's something that we need to do collectively and, you know, to be able to get to that goal, it takes everybody's um, knowledge, to you know, take everybody's actions to actually achieve that. This is one of the reasons why advocacy Advocacy is very important when it comes to these issues.
0: Absolutely. And I think your emphasis, uh, great emphasis on collective action is so important because we are parts of a whole. And when we come together, that's how we can make an impact for planet Earth all together. So how has the COP28 experience enabled youth and children advocacy in relation to environment and sustainability?
1: Honestly, I am super happy about the, um, the whole thing and the whole experience for children and youth that I have seen so far in COP28. I was also present in COP27, and I can tell you that I really see how, one, the UAE government is... Actually, trying to include climate action, climate change courses, climate um, knowledge and capacity building for youth and children into their um, school curriculum. Um, first of all, I will start with that. Um, my, my organization we actually um, implemented. Um, we we launched a book called the Dunes of um, uh, the, um, the Dunes of Tapestry, looking at um, the biodiversity of um, the UAE. So we looked at not just you know the luxurious lifestyles of UAE, but looked at the old nature of UAE and if you look today around the green zone you will see that a lot of children a lot of youths are actually available here going through all of the um what we call it all of the zones the pavilions that are here today and you will see that when you go to these pavilions it tells the stories of nature it tells a story. they tell the stories of UAE's um nature they tell stories of UAE biodiversity you are not just looking at the stories they make you feel you know that it is also something you could be part of, and I really love that. And yeah, this storytelling has actually given the youth and the children I've seen so far, you know, ideas of how to do more. And I tell you that one of the book, the book that we did launch, the Dunes of Tapestry, is actually uh, we did it collectively with um, the alma cab um, our niche school in UAE, and they were part of this project because most of them are the authors of this book, like the different stories of the uh, that are collectively in this book. So yeah, I see so much, and even for me, I would tell you that I've actually benefited from the UAE government when it comes to this um, the youth initiatives that they have created for uh, to help enhance climate change action and climate change knowledge. Like I told you before, before we started the interview, that I was here for a policy acting and I was here for some you know workshops and all of those things. So I see how much that they have helped, and I'm very impressed by how this COP28 um, experience has actually not just been for you know the policymakers, negotiators, uh, negotiators, and ministers on ground, but as effectively impacted in the lives of the children and youths on ground
0: absolutely and it's really wonderful to hear and you know even walking around the cop 28 all the that diversity the inclusive um, ways in which uh, the discussions are taking place and you know the the exhibits or the workshops or the interactive means through which we're learning about climate change environment and sustainability the way it the different projects, different ideas are coming together. I mean, there's so much going on that it really is, there is something for everyone and to really get everybody on board with these kind of conversations and at a level that is adapted to them, at a level that they feel comfortable engaging in. And that's really, really wonderful to see um, on on a global stage that people from all around the world can come in to the COP28, have their voices heard, have that kind of being implemented in tangible action for now and for the future. So what kind of initiatives have you been involved in? I know you touched upon some initiatives uh, earlier on in your answer. Um, so what kind of initiatives are kind of really solidly coming together in this
1: regards? Okay, as um before now, before the cocktail, before the launch of the Dreams of Tapestry that's the book and um, the storybook that we did launch here at COP we were also involved as an organization. We did um, something around um, clean energy ad- um, education, which I also mentioned earlier on, in partnership with the International Renewable Energy Agency. So we did carry that out for like six months. We did a lot of advocacy projects with you know several youths from um, different um, from different regions, and then we were just you know most, um, we also did um, a lot of research, and we have some research publications. We also went on. Uh, we also did a lot of um, you know um, contributed. To a lot of magazines across ve across various um across various regions. This includes Europe, Africa, you know, Asia, and yeah, we did love that. So you know, to put out those words that clean energy, you know, is important for everyone, and it's actually important for us to get to the net zero goal. So we these are some of the initiatives that we did um this year, and even previously, we have also done a lot of uh, other um. Other initiatives, from accretions to, um, uh, um, to policy, policy from a clean energy accretions to policy we're very focused on that. You know, contributing our quota to ensure that you know we get to that net zero goal. Because, like I said before, when it comes to climate action, it takes collective effort. So we cannot be out there telling people, you know, take action, take action. and we are not doing our own part. So we do our own part in educating the people around us, in educating communities and around us, you know, and also you know increasing creating innovative technologies. Yes, we've been able to create um, software solutions for the clean energy sectors. And we have been able to, you know, go out there, carry out campaigns that will help us get to the net zero goals.
0: Absolutely. And I think, you know, from your passion, from your enthusiasm, um, it's so clear that you're really invested in this. And that's so wonderful to see. And like you said, you know, it's all about taking action. It's all about getting involved ourselves as well, and you've mentioned some really wonderful initiatives. Um, So thank you for that. How important do you think it is to incorporate
1: voices of Indigenous youth and communities, and why? Yeah, when it comes to Indigenous youth, you know, and um, voices of all communities without uh, marginalising anybody, it's very important because... When we look at indigenous youth, we want to look at that. These people are very people that I know that's very connected to nature and connected to our history, connected to our tradition. I can tell you there's something I really liked in most of the panel sessions that I I was on in this program, right? Uh, most times when I when I hear the youth from UAE speak, they touched on the they touched on the um the knowledge of the of the ancestors, they touched on the knowledge of the previous generations, and they always say something that Even if we youth are looking for a a new route into getting to the net zero goal, we cannot dismiss the knowledge of, you know, our ancestors, our, 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 uh, the the previous generations. We have to look into what they have, you know, offered us and use that to, you know, get to the next um, steps. Because I tell people, especially that if we want to look at what have we used to build our economy up until now, Okay, use that we could move forward, you know, to create new initiatives for the for this journey, for this um, transition that we are going to. So when you look at the uh, knowledge of indigenous people, or when you look at the knowledge or or collect it, I think that it's very important to include all regions, all kind of you know, um get all people from you know various regions We want to touch on those knowledge, We want to look at, you know, getting their input into, into that um into the public, we want to ensure that nobody is left aside. We want to ensure that we have uh, all the all the knowledge, all the things that we need to actually get. I see. I like to emphasize on we are better together, and without um, you know leaving anyone aside. We want to ensure that nobody feels that their opinions or their ideas are not being represented at the table. So we need to bring everybody you know first up to speed. With capacity building, with technical, uh, with techno- um, technological knowledge, and we also want to, you know, ensure that their their ideas are being represented. I would say,
0: fantastic. I think you also referencing the legacy of Sheikh Zayed, which is quite a prominent theme through um, the COP28. And it's wonderful to see, you know, the youth kind of being inspired and motivated through that. And it's so wonderful to see, you know, that even globally that has um, a motivational message as touched upon yourself. And again, you know, really inspired also by your passion, by your enthusiasm. And it's those kind of human qualities that kind of spur on change because, for planet Earth, for the climate change conversations and sustainability. We need that sustainable change, that momentum to keep going. And it's really, really wonderful to hear individuals like yourself propelling that forward. What kind of future initiatives do you think would assist youth advocacy in relation to climate change, environment and sustainability in a practical sense?
1: Ah, uh, one would be capacity building, right? I'm very I'm very um key on capacity building because I'll tell you the truth. If I was not able to build my own capacity, my own knowledge, I wouldn't be here today. I might not even know what's happening. But in the quest for knowledge, I got involved in so many um, fellowships, so many uh, mentorship programs, so many you know um, programs as well, um, general programs as well. So I think capacity building is very important and we should understand that uh, various regions and various um, people from different backgrounds have um, various levels of knowledge. So we want to ensure that when we are doing our capacity building, we are able to carry them up to speed according to their, you know to their own um knowledge level according to their own backgrounds and everything and prior to this discussion you told me that okay some of this um program sometimes it's being run in other languages. And I think it's very, very important because when we only do, you know, some of the documents when we have in policies, right? Some of our documents are only documented in English. Uh, in English, some of the research work available are only documented in English. So you see that there is a lapse bit, you know, when it comes to language barrier for other people who might want to learn, they're not able to learn um, they're not able to come up to speed because they don't understand that terminologies in that language. But when you, you know, convert those documents into their own local language. You see that they are able to pick up everything um, very fast. So when I talk about capacity building and ensuring that it gets to you know various people from various regions, I mean you know let it be accessible in all languages and in all levels of you know uh, in all levels of verbal background and everything and educational levels for people. So that's one. So. I think again that we should not end up in theoretical kind of capacity building. I tell one of the biggest, um, um, the biggest um, experience for me in COP 28 is the fact that I went to the solar park by the Vice President of the UAE that was built, and um, and I really uh, I, I I was so happy. I was gladdened because I have seen those pictures. Working in the renewable energy sector, I've seen those pictures, but I've not had the opportunity to visit such you know big projects like that. So when you talk, when I talk about, um, I I don't want us to you know end up learning all the things on paper. Let us have the opportunity to see them and also work on them. So um one of the things I also like you know about international conferences, you know you sit down, whether you're an observer or party overflow or party members, you're being involved in those processes. So you are able to see and know that okay these things I'm doing, this advocacy. I'm doing, this is what, you know, it's leading up to. This is, and you gain more knowledge about it, so we should not end up doing only pra- and the theoretical part of it. There should be opportunities for people to, you know, have practical experiences of those things. So these things, it's also built up, to, You know, when I, it's also um, part of the capacity building trainings that I'm talking about. Also, another thing that will help youth is green jobs. Green jobs, one thing is to learn something and another thing is to, you know, be able to implement it. So I think opportunities for youth when it comes to getting green jobs to be available. Because if, you're not, if they're not able to gain that green jobs, then they're going to look for other alternatives, you know. And if those alternatives serve their, you know, um, finance their their, their well-being and all of those things, they will, or they will just focus on all thoughts so i think green jobs should be made available for youth you know and yeah when those green jobs are, are made available they are able to gain finance to finance more projects they're able to gain finance to do a, a lot of other stuff and not relying slowly on you know maybe a government or somebody that might even that might bring them up here in, in, in conferences like cop 28 and you know start advocating for something that is not even relevant for the net, uh, for the net zero goals so we should uh, these are two things i would I would just mention that would actually be very good to be made available for youth so that they can you know be part of this um um old transition goal.